1: whose stories are told one-sidedly. And by one-sidedly, I mean only from their good side. And I think we do this when we tell people's story in the Bible, because we wanna set up role models who are aspirational. That is people that we can strive to be. But the problem is when we only tell the one good side of a person's story, we unintentionally create people who are not just aspirational, but also unattainable. Have you ever read the story of someone in the Bible and you're just like, I could never. I could never be that person. Um, But the truth is uh, that nobody's perfect. And I love that about the Bible, that it shows not only their highlights, but their lowlights. Like I remember I had this mentor in my life. I still do still a mentor of mine. And I I won't use his name because he's a pastor now and I want to protect his innocence. But, um, I always looked up to him because he just seemed like the perfect person. He quoted Bible verses all the time, like off the dome. He knew exactly where to turn. He knew exactly what to say. He prayed like I could never pray, preached like I could never preach. And I just wanted to be him. But at the same time, he was so perfect. I thought I could never, ever be him. And it was kind of discouraging until one day we went on a mission trip to Haiti and in Haiti, um, was in a bus and he was looking outside the window and he saw some people. And I I guess he just became overcome by the love of the Lord. And he looked out the window and he looked at these local Haitians and with as much Jesus' love that he could muster, he said, hey, we are from America and we've come to tell you God loves you. And the uh, Haitian uh, uh, nationals who received that message, I I don't even know this uh, about Haitians. They're very, very smart people. Most of them speak many languages. Uh, They speak Creole. Uh, They speak English, they speak Spanish, and they speak French. And uh, found out that day that they also speak another language, uh, sign language. (laughs) And I know that they speak sign language because they they gave my mentor a sign. Sign that is often reserved for the people who cut you off in traffic. (laughs) And when they gave my mentor the sign, hopefully you're tracking me. Um, And I was looking at my mentor from the back of the seat and i said this is it this is the moment you know said so he, he's gonna he's gonna do something like jesus again he's gonna he's gonna repay that with some a blessing in tongues or something like that or you know he's gonna quote a bible verse from the from the bus and and i and as i was sitting in the back of the bus i looked at him and he returned that sign language with more sign language <laughs> now i want to be very clear i'm not promoting bad sign language I'm not endorsing this, this is not a, this is not what Jesus would have done, amen? This is not what we're supposed to do. But I just wanna tell you, on the back of the bus, looking at him do it, I said, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Because for the first time in my life, I felt like I can be like this person. I can be like them. It just feels so good to know that we weren't as far off as I thought we were. And I'm just grateful that the Bible does that. Like I'm grateful that the Bible tells the story of Noah being, having the faith to be able to build a boat when a thing such as rain had not even been invented yet in the Bible, but God told him to build it and he did it. But I'm also grateful that after the storm came and Noah built the boat, I'm grateful that the Bible tells us the story about Noah getting so drunk, he passed out naked. Because I've never built a boat out of faith, but I've also never passed out drunk, naked. So I'm like, I'm like right there with Moses. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not as far off as I thought. Like, I'm grateful that the Bible tells me about the story of David and Goliath, that David killed the giant. That's awesome. But I'm also grateful that it tells me the story about the time that he killed a man and took his wife for her own. Because, you know, I've never killed a giant, but I've also never killed somebody and took their wife. Like, it's not that far off. And I'm I'm just so grateful because, because I think, number one, it shows us that the Bible is real. If the Bible was fake, as a lot of people accuse it to be, wouldn't you have just put in the stories that make them look good? But the Bible is not there to reflect good. It's there to reflect reality. And reality is not always good. But I'm also grateful because as much as I need a role model to give me hope for the victory, I need another role model to be able to give me hope in the defeat. I need to look at somebody who failed and said, and made it anyway, and say, you know what? I can do that. I can do that too which is why I'd like to introduce you to a person in the Bible named Elisha, Elisha. If I could give you one Bible trivia fact about Elisha, it would be that no one in the Bible performed more miracles than Elisha, except Jesus. Now, anytime you're in a sentence with Jesus and that sentence ends with, except Jesus, you're in good company, I'm gonna tell you right now. Yeah. Nobody in the Bible did more miracles except Jesus, I'm gonna name a couple of them just to give you a picture. One time he healed contaminated water so a whole city could survive. Another time he multiplied jars of oil. Another time he prophesied a pregnancy. And then when the boy who was born from that prophesied pregnancy passed away, that's a tongue twister right there, he resurrected that boy from the dead. He healed a man with leprosy. He gave another man leprosy. He caused an entire army, I want you to imagine an army to go blind. These are just a few, this is not even a third of the miracles that Elisha completed in his life. God used him powerfully, which makes the circumstances surrounding his death just that much more confusing. I asked fellow pastors of mine as I was preparing this sermon, if they remembered the way that Elisha died. And none of them could tell me the story because we only remember him for his good moments. But his death is a mystery. It's confusing when you put it in the context of his life story. His death story seems so different. It's here in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. You can read along with me. It'll be on the screen behind you. Elisha came down sick. Now, I want you to pretend like you don't read the rest of the verse right now. Just look at me. So what? He came down sick. But this is the guy who made a whole army go blind. This is the guy who healed leprosy. This is the guy who multiplied oil in jars. This is the guy who resurrected people from the dead. So what if he's sick? Surely the one that God gave the gift of healing and resurrection to would have the power to be able to heal himself. Alas, we keep reading. And it was the sickness of which he would soon die. Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me the one that God used to bring healing, restoration, resurrection, miracles to all the people around him couldn't get one miracle for himself? What? Here's the title of today's message and maybe it'll minister to you. Let me know if you need it. The title is, When God Doesn't Do It For You. That's good. Wow. Do you need to hear this word today? When God doesn't, he does it for others, but he doesn't do it for you. Um, I've been trying to get more sleep in 2021. It has been my goal. It's actually a a goal. I'm trying to sleep between seven and nine hours. I never get to nine. A lot of times I'm under seven, but that eight is like my sweet spot. And so I I went to the internet to find out how to help me sleep. And I ended up where most of us end up with our medical questions, WebMD. And I got on WebMD and WebMD said, if I want to sleep, I needed to purchase a weighted blanket. I don't know if you're familiar with the weighted blanket, but it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a heavy blanket and you wrap yourself in it. And the weight of it is supposed to make you feel like you're being cuddled in the womb. I'm like, I want to go back to the womb. This it's crazy. I'm gonna pick me up a weighted blanket. So I did. I went on Amazon, but on Amazon, there was like a hundred different weighted blankets. So then I did what we all do when we go on Amazon. We look at the reviews. So I started to look at the reviews. I found one blanket that had 43,000 positive reviews. That's a lot of positive reviews. I've seen 10,000, I've seen 5,000, I've seen a couple hundred, never seen 43,000. I want to read to you some of these reviews that convinced me that this was the blanket I needed to buy. Here's the first review, comes from Jenny, reviewing in the United States. She said, I never write reviews. Don't all reviews start like that, by the way? That's how you know they're fake. I never write reviews, but. I never write reviews, but. I thought I should after buying two. That sounds like overkill. But two of these blankets. How heavy do you want this thing to be? I haven't slept through the night for almost six years. Thanks to a difficult pregnancy and baby, it trained my body to sleep a couple of hours at a time. I tried everything and I'm shocked that a weighted blanket worked so magically from restless legs, and insomnia, anxiety. It's an instant fix. I have it draped over me while I write this. And and it feels amazing. I was like, "Oh, this is a good blanket." And I found another review. This is another review that said, "This one, this is the best. It's always best in caps on the reviews. This is the best purchase I have ever made, ever in your whole life." Yep, the best. I've been an insomniac for years. Never been treated. Went to doctor's appointments. Nothing worked. On top of that, I have RLS, restless leg syndrome. Sounds made up. <laughs> I thought I'd give this blanket a try since it was weighted when I'm in pain. The nerves in my legs can't sleep for so many reasons. This product is not advertised, but it should be. I have had my blanket for three days and have been basically sleeping in a coma. That doesn't sound safe. (laughs) I'm not with that right there. This is the best sleep I've ever had in my life. So long story short, I bought this blanket and I hated it. (laughs) First off, if you've ever had a weighted blanket, it's about a thousand degrees underneath the weight of that blanket i'm already a hot sleeper you put me under a weighted blanket and the first dream i had i was in hell <laughs> so hot and then the thing was heavy so not only am i in hell but i'm in hell fighting demons You like get off me get off me wake up in the middle of the night blankets on the floor and this is like what happened i was like i almost died i was in hell there was a demon pressing on me and- what made it more frustrating was if it worked for 43,000 other people. <laughs> this blanket, but it didn't work for me. It could be frustrating when you spend money and buy shampoo that works for everybody else but don't work for you. Or a face cream that works for you but works for everybody else but not for you. It's frustrating when you have those experiences with those products, but have you had ever in your life that experience with prayer? It seems to work for everybody else. We have 21 days of prayer and everybody got a testimony, but you don't got one. Wow. Works for everyone else, but it doesn't work for you. Have you ever had that experience with tithing? You give God the first 10% of your income and he's supposed to bless you. You lose your job the next week. This works worked for everybody else, but not for me. You ever had this experience with marriage counseling? Marriage counseling is supposed to be the thing where you go to and it works and you help and you get better. But we've tried marriage counseling and we argued more in the parking lot on the way out than we did on the way there. Why does it seem to be working for everyone else, but not for me? Have you ever had this experience with God? You hear about what he's done in the lives of so many people, but when you try God, God doesn't do it for you. If you've been paying attention to the last few sermons, we've been in an unofficial series on unmet expectations. What happens when God falls short? of those expectations. And I just felt they need to talk about this because we've been in a season that has not met expectations. Like masks, we're supposed to be in a museum right now. We're supposed to be telling stories about how we got through it and it was behind us. And yet we still have them. After at the end of the election, supposedly our country was supposed to be unified. It doesn't seem to be unified quite yet. Afghanistan was supposed to be a free country when the army left. It doesn't seem to be that way right now. What do you do when God doesn't do it? for you. And if you haven't felt it, by the way, one day you will. One day you will pray for someone who is sick, ask for God to heal them. And like Elisha, they will not get better. They will die. One day you will look up on the internet, how to file for the incorporation of your company. And then, and another day you'll look up on the internet, how to file for bankruptcy for your company. One day you'll You'll have a hidden sin in your life that you're struggling with, but you, but you leave church because the message was good and someone laid hands on you and, and you feel like that chain has finally been broken and you've finally been delivered from that addiction until three weeks later when you have a relapse and you find out that God didn't do it for you. What do you do when God doesn't do it for you? Today, I want to give you three things you can do when God doesn't do it for you. And the first one is this, when God doesn't do it for you, keep pounding. Pounding keep pounding. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Second King chapter 13, verse 14. Elisha came down sick. It was the sickness of which he would soon die. So Jehoash king of Israel paid him a visit. And when he saw him, he wept openly crying. Remember these words, because we're going to come back to them later. My father, my father, chariot and horsemen of Israel, Elisha told him, go and get a bow and some arrows. Now pick up the other arrows, said Elisha. He picked them up. And then he said to the king of Israel, pound the ground. So the king struck the ground three times. But then he what? Quit. Then he what? Quit. Then he what? Quit. The holy man became angry with him. Why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would have beaten a ram, which was the the country that was neighboring Israel that was threatening to take over territory. You would have beaten them until they were finished. But as it is, you will only defeat him three times only. And then in the most abrupt way to end any story in the Bible, verse 20, then Elisha died and they buried him. (laughs) Just like that. I find it so interesting that Elisha knows he's going to die and on the heels of God not doing the miracle for him, he was ready to pray for a miracle for King Jehoash. He could have looked at his life, at what God had failed to do in that last moment and said, you know what? I'm not praying again. If I'm dying, y'all dying. If I'm going down, we're all going down. But he didn't let his failure affect his faith. And I think that's why he was mad at King Jehoahash. He's saying, listen, King, God didn't do it for me. But if I have the faith to keep praying, you should have the faith to keep pounding. I know nothing happened and I know nothing's happening. This is a word for somebody. But just because nothing's happened and just because nothing's happening doesn't mean nothing will happen. There's a lot of theories to why the king stopped pounding, but I think the simplest theory is probably the best theory of all. And that is that the reason why he stopped pounding was because uh, nothing was happening. He takes the arrow out of the thing, hits the ground, psh, looks at Elisha. Elisha don't say nothing. So, another so arrow, it's good. Psh. It's the third arrow, psh, still nothing happened. Eventually he goes, I don't know how this is supposed to work. But you haven't said anything, I haven't said anything, nothing's happening, so I'm just gonna stop right here. Because some of the most disheartening seasons of your life are the seasons when nothing is happening. It's in those seasons when nothing is happening that we're convinced by the enemy to put our arrows down. Because nothing's happening. But just because nothing's happening now doesn't mean that nothing won't happen then Nothing will happen later. And sometimes we will quit in the now, not knowing that God's got the miracle in the later. It's like for our kids, like we've got you know, two kids and, and, uh, and, and my wife makes our sons do three things every morning. Every single morning, there's a checklist for them, by the way, in their room. And those three things every morning are brush your teeth, comb your hair and make your bed. And every time they get up, they're angry about it. Not are they just angry about it, even work, they're surprised about it. Like, where have you been the last three years? Like, you know that who kidnapped you and replaced your body with another person? You do this every day, but they get so mad, they get so angry, and they always tell my wife the same thing. I don't see why I have to do this. Nobody's coming over. (laughs) Which is a great answer, if we're being honest. This is showing no benefit now. So why would I do this? And and my wife doesn't really have, she doesn't know how to explain it to them, but but what she's trying to tell them is, listen, I want you to be the kind of people who brush your teeth, comb your hair, and make your bed. Because once it becomes a habit that's ingrained in you, you'll never forget to do it. And then when you need it, you'll be ready to do it in the season that you need it, even though nothing's happening now. So when you go on your first job interview and you were in a rush, even though you were in a rush, because every morning you brush your hair, you'll show up ready and you'll get the job because you'll look the part. You won't need this now, but you'll need it then. If you go to the grocery store, thinking that you're not gonna bump into anybody, so you didn't brush your teeth, but the love of your life is there. (laughs) And now because you got stank breath, you missed God's purpose for your life. (laughs) All because of your aversion to Colgate. You missed it. <laughs> and then even if you can get past the stank breath and you marry this person. If you do not be kind, the, the kind of person that makes your bed, this marriage will end in divorce. <laughs> we'll save you thousands of dollars of, of counseling right now. If you just become this person, I know it doesn't make sense right now. But the things you're doing now have repercussions later. The reward comes later. And and here's what you need in the now when you don't have the results, you need to have the trust. Because it's trust that gets you through the season of nothing. Not because it makes sense what you're asking me to do, but because I trust the one who's asking me to do it, that if he's asking me to do it, there must be a good reason for it. So I'm gonna gonna, gonna keep doing it. Sometimes purity doesn't make sense when you're single. It really doesn't make sense when you got opportunities to not be pure, you know what I'm saying? But you know when it does make sense? When you get married, and that person that you're getting married to touches you. It makes sense if you were pure, because if you wasn't pure before you got into marriage, sometimes they'll touch you, and you'll confuse the affection of your spouse for the abuse of your ex. That person will touch you, and they're just touching you because they love you, but you're gonna go into a flashback of when that other person touched you and took advantage of your body, and you're gonna confuse the two, and you're gonna think they're the same person. That's why God wanted you to be pure, but you didn't know that until then. It makes no sense to keep forgiving your father when he keeps doing things to hurt you and hurt your family and and mess with your faith. But you know when it will make sense? At his funeral. When you look at the open casket and you can look at those closed eyes and you can look at that face and you look with no regrets. And you look with with 100% peace because you said everything you had to say while you had the chance. It makes no sense to keep coming to church when all hell has broken loose over your life. It makes no sense to keep going to small groups and to keep worshiping when everything else around you is going bad. Why? I have someone tell me that why go to church if everything is going to just go bad anyway. It doesn't make sense until you see somebody going through exactly what you're going through, except they tried to kill themselves. And then you start to look back at your life and you go, oh my goodness, how did I make it through this if it was not for the foundation of my faith, if it was not for the people in my small group, if it was not for the grace of God. It didn't make sense to me then, but it makes sense now. The only reason I made it through 2020 when everyone else went crazy was because of the grace of God over my life and the routine of including God in my everyday life. Just because I don't see the results doesn't mean that I'm not gonna stop listening to the voice. I gotta trust you got a purpose in this that's gonna show up later. This is why Simon says, always got me. Remember the game? Simon says, if not, we're going to do a little flashback right here. Simon says, clap your hands. Okay. Simon says, tell your neighbor, good morning. Simon says, keep pounding. Come on. If you don't do this, you're not going to heaven. Simon says, keep pounding. Keep pounding. <laughs> okay. This, this illustration is not going as planned. <laughs> I got you. You stopped pounding. Why did you stop pounding? Because you saw me stop pounding. So because you saw me stop, you stop. Here's how God told me to tell you. Don't stop when you see God stop. Stop when God says Stop. I'm talking to a pastor right now who's getting ready to give up on his church because he no longer sees God moving in his congregation. You don't give up on your ministry when you see God stop moving. You let go when he says let go. Has he said let go? No? Then keep pounding. I'm talking to somebody right now whose ministry, whose, whose marriage is going through a tough time. And maybe one day God will release you from that marriage under the condition of adultery or abuse or abandonment. But if he has not released you, then regardless of what you see in your marriage, God tells you, keep pounding. I know prayer didn't work the last time for your brother or your son or your daughter, but he hasn't told you to stop. And so if God doesn't say stop, keep pounding, keep praying, keep believing, keep teaching, keep preaching. Teaching, keep loving, keep inviting them to church, keep loving on them, keep going to a small group, keep worshiping, keep coming to church, keep pounding. And while you keep it pounding, listen to me, keep it real. Keep it real. Second Kings, uh, we get into another part of the story. I got to give you the background of Elisha, and, and the Bible gives me permission to do this. You'll see in a second. You got to know Elisha, you got to know Elijah. Elijah was the mentor of Elisha, and Elijah also flowed in the power of God. One day, and this is all you need to know about Elijah, he was actually taken up to heaven. He didn't even die. While he was still living, God took him up to heaven. And one day, the day that he was taken up to heaven, Elijah was walking across the Jordan, was walking up to the Jordan River, the banks. He took off his jacket. He hit the Jordan River. The Jordan River split. He walked across on dry ground. And then he looked at Elisha while the water's still standing at attention. And he goes, he goes, what can I do for you before I leave? And Elisha goes, I want to do that. Right there with the water. Thanks, about want to do that. He actually says, I want two times the blessing whatever God has given you, I want twice of it. And Elijah goes, that's been a hard thing that you asked, but if you see me go, then when I go, you'll get the two times the blessing. And this is the part of the story that we come to. Second Kings chapter two, verse 12, Elisha sees Elijah go up and he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Do you remember what the king said when he saw Elisha dying? My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. The Bible is connecting these two stories. It wants you to go back and see what's happening. And Elisha saw him no more. Next verse. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. He was so sad at at the love of his life, Elijah being taken away from him. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He goes, all right, let's take this anointing for a test drive. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it and nothing happened. Then he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And so he struck the water again and then divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Now you know why Elisha told the king to strike twice, to keep pounding because he had lived it himself. He said, King, you don't stop when God stops. You move until God moves. You keep pounding. You keep praying. You keep going. But do not let Elisha's faith distract you from his doubt. What happened the first time the water didn't move? Look at it. Verse 14. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, struck the water with it. Nothing happened. Look what he says. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church that told me that if I ever questioned God like that, a lightning bolt <laughs> will come down from heaven and blow me up. <clears throat> we get taught in church, if you've ever been, never question God, never question God. But I see Elisha question God and God moves at the end of his question. Here's my thing. I, I don't know that I believe that because if I don't bring my, God, if my questions to God, then who do I bring them to? You, and, and Christians, we do that now. Or if you're interested in God, you do that now. You're not supposed to question God, so instead you bring your questions to Google. (laughs) What is the meaning of life? Enter Google. You bring your questions to Facebook. You bring your questions to different faiths. You bring your questions to philosophy. You bring your questions to science. You bring your questions to, to politics. And I know why we do that as pastors, or why some pastors do that. I think we do that because we feel the need to defend God. But God doesn't need anybody to defend him. He's God. He can defend himself. Let me tell you this right now. God is not afraid of your authenticity. He's after it. So good. He wants you to be real with him. Yeah. He wants you to bring your questions to him. He wants you to argue with him. Argue with him as long as he's with him. Yeah. And as long as you keep pounding. Come on. Ask all the questions you want. I always do this with my wife. Sometimes she'll ask me to do things. And a lot of times, I hate to admit it, I argue with her. I argue with her because I don't like the thing she's asking me to do, specifically go shopping. Sometimes she'll ask me to go shopping and I'm like, why? She's like, because you need new clothes. I'm like, can we order them online? I've seen you do this before. Boxes upon boxes have showed up to the house. Can't you order clothes? I try them on and then we send them back. She goes, no, we can't do this for here because this place doesn't deliver. We have to go do it. Babe, I don't think I have enough clothes. I don't need any more clothes. You know, Babe, we're on a budget. I don't want to spend any more money. Okay, fine. I'll go without you. Now, every husband knows fine does not mean fine. So she'll walk up the steps with a little more energy than she normally walks up the steps. And then I'll follow her, and I'll start to get dressed. (laughs) She'll come down, I'll come down. She'll get in the car, I'll get in the car. What happened? I thought you weren't coming. No, I was going to go. You know, I love you. I was going to go. I just had questions. I just needed you to know how much I don't like doing this. She said, why do you always do that? Why are you always argue with me and then do what you've done really good Wouldn't it have been easier just to do it and not to argue? No, I need you to know how much this bothers me and how much I do not agree with this. And on the way there, she'll be like, but you know what, she'll tell me, she goes, it makes me feel so loved when you go shopping with me. I'm like, why? She goes, because I know how much you don't like it. I'm like, that's evil. <laughs> but what she's really saying is to know that you don't like it that much, to know that you're in that district, but you do it anyway because you love me. It brings the love of your action to a whole nother level. Some people, when we get ready for church in the morning, God has been so quote unquote bad to us that we, we mad when we get ready. How many people know, you know what I'm talking about? Come on, we get up early. We, we make we, we brush our hair, but while we're brushing our hair, we're like I'm going to church today. Just, to worship the Lord. I don't know why I'm worshiping the Lord. He doesn't do anything that I ask him to do, and I just lost my job. And we scream at the kids, "Get ready! We're going to church!" Gosh, God, I'm not going to church. I don't even like church anymore. Soon as I'm gonna sing the song, I'm like, "Get, God, to get in the car. Get in the car. Turn on the car. Get in the car. Take the wheel. Turn on the car." Of course the car wouldn't be working. Okay, I see you. That's how you are God. I know you're funny. You got a sense of humor. Ha 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 lord this is what you do, right? Yeah, okay. Then a car finally starts and you get there, then you check the kids in, you come in in the second song, just bad and upset and angry at the Lord. And you begin to worship him at that point. And it's so easy to feel fake at that moment. But what you don't know is that your worship at that moment is not its fakest, it's its realest. Cause it would be easy for the person who God has blessed and protected and kept safe to lift his God. You know what's fake? Let me tell you what's fake. When you praise God for the things that he's done in your your life and you got that kind of deal with him. I'll praise you as long as you got my back. That's fake, that's selfish, matter of fact. But real worship is even if you never set me free, even if you never do the healing, even if I never get the job. you're not your fakest, you're your realist. There's somebody who came to church today worshiping and your worship feels so fake because of the week of sin that you've had. And I'm not saying the sin is okay. I'm just saying, sinners worshiping God isn't fake. When you can lift up your hands and worship him even though you know you're not worthy. Come on. Come on. That's when your worship is at its most authentic. It's most authentic. So so keep it real as long as you keep pounding. God, you God this God, I got questions. God, I got doubt. Okay, do it. As long as you keep pounding. It doesn't hurt him when you ask him questions. And while you keep it pounding and while you keep reading and while you keep it real, here's my last point. Keep reading. Keep reading. Second Kings, worship team can come up. Second Kings 13, 20 through 21. Then Elisha died and they buried him. Remember that verse? Sounded like the end, didn't it? That's when, and you, if you're not careful, you'll close your Bible. That's when most people close the book on God, by the way, at a funeral, funeral of a dream, at the funeral of a friend, at the funeral of a relationship, at the funeral of a business, but keep reading. 2 Kings 13, 20 through 21, sometime later raiding bands of Moabites, as they often did, invaded the country. And one day, some men were burying a man and spotted the raiders. And so they threw the man into the dead body. They threw the man into Elisha's tomb and got away. And when the dead body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man came back to life. Stood up, confused as ever. (laughs) Imagine being that guy. (laughs) walked out on his own two feet please catch this God did not do it for Elisha but by not doing Elisha's healing he brought forth this man's resurrection this is all I wanted to tell you tonight and today if you leave any if you leave here with anything this is all I wanted to tell you wait till you see what God does with what he didn't do He will take the thing that you thought he wasn't working on and he'll flip it in another season of your life to do something that blows your mind. Wait till you see what God does is what he didn't do. I want to introduce you to a family this is a friends of mine, Pastor Liz and I, we met them at, uh, here in Orlando. I preached a service, and he came up to me. This is Joe, Jenny, and Micah Butler. Micah came up to me at the end of the service. He loved the preaching so much. He just kept saying the same thing over again. He said, you funny, you funny, you funny. Dad, he funny, he funny. And he just kept saying over and over again. Told me a little bit about giving me a hug. I hugged him back, and his dad came over to explain Micah's behavior and, and to tell us the story. And Micah's a special needs uh, young man, and uh, Joe used to be a pastor, and so was Jenny, and, uh, and the story of Micah is that when he was growing up, uh, Micah did not check a lot of the developmental boxes, and they took a brain scan of Micah's life, of Micah's head, and they found out that Micah wasn't going to grow up to be like most of the other kids around him, and now that they had a disabled child, when they found out they had a disabled child, Joe, being the pastor that he was, began to pray, began to pray, began to pray, began to pray, began to pray that God would heal their child, heal their child. Jenny fasted, they prayed, God would heal our baby, heal our baby, heal our baby, and, and God never. Did. It And now they got this, this boy who's growing up with this disability. And one day they're at a church and God begins to speak to them. And God begins to put something in their heart because I'm running out of time. I'll make a long story short. Joe and Jenny Butler are not just, they're not pastors anymore. And they're not just the pastors of uh, parents of Micah either. They're the founders and presidents of an organization called Ability Tree that is a Christian nonprofit organization that helps parents of special needs children find rest and helps kids get closer to Jesus who has special needs. Through their ministry, hundreds of families have found hope. Thousands of special needs children have met Jesus. They've opened up four buildings in four different states. The most recent one has opened up in Florida. I'm excited to announce that we're one of their newest financial partners. Thank you for your generosity. We're gonna help this ministry grow and reach people. But here's what I really wanted you to take home with this. All of this is made possible. Thousands of lives impacted. Ministry that would have never been there. All of this made possible because God did not answer the prayer of a pastor. Wait till you see what God does with what he didn't do. I'm talking to somebody today who is upset at God. I don't know how he's failed you in your life. Maybe it was the accident he didn't prevent or the business he didn't grow. Maybe it was the COVID he didn't cure or the cancer he didn't keep in remission or the disability he didn't remove or the pregnancy he did not save or the relationship he did not restore. I don't know how God failed you, but God sent me here to tell you wait till you see what I do with what I did not do. Wait till you see it. I got this journal. This is my journal and I hope you never find it. Cause if you to open up to some pages in my journal, you might not want to be coming to this church anymore. Cause you might open it up to a bad day, a bad day, like a day I lost my son you might open it up to that page you don't want to read what I wrote on that day you might open it up to a day where my secret sin almost destroyed my marriage you don't want to open it up to that day you might open it up to a day where my anxiety was so bad I couldn't get through a sermon on a Sunday morning in 2020 couldn't even figure out how to stop go walk off try again it didn't it was a bad day but if you keep reading you'll read about how that, 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 that secret sin how that secret sin didn't tear up my marriage but God ended up using it to bring our marriage closer than ever If you keep reading, you'll hear about the death of my son, how that created the birth of this church. If you keep reading, you'll hear about how all the buildings that shut down on us when we tried to move in closed, but through them closing, this building became available. If you just keep reading, you will not believe what God does with what he does not do, with what he did not do. But however, now I find myself at a a, a crossroad because no matter how much stuff he's did, now I'm at some blank pages. I wonder if there's anybody... A church today who's at a blank page. You're not really sure what comes next. You're not really sure what the next season of your life is going to hold. Can I tell you what I've learned to do in my life when I get to the blank pages of my journal? What I do is I take my story, my story that is unfinished, and I take the anxiety of my unfinished story and I overlay it on the finished story of Jesus Christ. Because even though my story is not finished this story is so when i wanna when i wish i could sneak peek to the ending of my story and i can't what i do is i sneak peek to the end of this story how does this end here oh thank goodness it ends with my peace it ends with my protection it ends with your hope being intact it ends with the promises of God coming true over your life it ends with your ministry it ends with your calling it ends in your good it ends with the answer it ends with restoration it ends with reconciliation it ends in joy it ends in hope in life in goodness it ends in strength let your story be overlaid by the story of Christ, every head bowed and every eye closed. There are some people in the room today, God did not do it for you. And I hate to be that person, but I'm kind of glad because you would be the first to admit, you know what, Pastor JJ, if he didn't do it for me, I don't think I'd be here. Some of you ended up in church today. Some of you are watching online today because of what God didn't do in your life. And that crossroad led you here. If you're here today because God didn't do it, you're exactly where he wants you to be. And he brought you here so that he can bring you home. He wants to have a relationship with you. So all over this place, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room and you would say, I get it now. He didn't do it, but he didn't do it so that I could do this. Like Elisha, he didn't do the healing so that you can experience a resurrection. Oh my God, there's a resurrection waiting for your life right now. There's a resurrection waiting for your life right now. If you would invite Jesus into your heart all over this room, if you want to bring your life to Jesus, put your life in his hands, if you want to see him do a miracle in your life, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand as a signal and a sign. Jesus, come into my life. I need you. I'm ready to come home all over this building on three. You want to come back home. He didn't do it, but so that you could do this all over the room on three, raise your right hand. One, two, three. Right now you need Jesus in your heart. Nobody's looking, just you and God. Raise your right hand. I see it in the back. I see it in the middle. I see it up front. I see your hand, I see your hand. Go ahead and put your hand down. Journey Church, let's pray with those individuals. Repeat after me. Father God, you didn't do it and I'm angry and I'm upset and I'm disappointed, but I'm also desperate and I'm here. I realize now you didn't do it to bring me here. So here I am, take my heart, take my life. I repent from my old life, and I turn to my new life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, give it up for those. Come on, stand on your feet and welcome those who gave their lives to Jesus.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at and if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.